holidays to you all. That is our original theme song by Jim Drake. I just want to point that out because we're very fortunate to have original music. And today we're going to talk about holiday music, Carl. So are you in the Christmas spirit yet? I'm in the Christmas spirit. I've been in the Christmas spirit for a long time, but I always try to do something different with my family. And this weekend we are going to a Christmas tree farm. And so we're going to cut down our own tree. And that is going to be interesting. We'll talk to our guest, Sam Scalamoni from The Elf on the Shelf. And then around minute 24, we'll talk West Side Story. Around minute 36, Street Gang, how we got to Sesame Street. Around minute 45, being the Ricardos. Around minute 55, don't look up. Around one hour and one minute, encounter. And then one hour and three minutes, the unforgivable. And every morning, as I wake up, I see where our magical elf has decided to place himself every day. Like today, he's under a glass today, and there's a sign that says elf under glass. So that is where George <laughs> has decided to put himself. Aha. Uh -huh. So your scout elf is called George. George, and he has, interestingly enough, his horse is called Fred, which has nothing to do with Harry Potter, but just is coincidence that way. All right. Well, um, my kids were too old for Elf on the Shelf, but I would be all over that. So, well, my, my child is 18, but we still have Elf on the Shelf before she goes to school. So, George, hey, and if George wants to keep coming back, that is that's up to George. It, you know, we have nothing to do with it. That's right. Well, funny you should mention Elf on the Shelf because that's our guest today. We have the director of the national tour, Sam Scalamoni, and this musical is coming to the Stiefel on Thursday, December 16th, and our good pal D uh, Dylan Stanley is now uh, public relations manager at Stiefel. So we're very excited. And then my former theater colleague, uh, Tanya Seal is now working for the parent company, Loom Stella. So oh, yeah. this is all a full circle moment. Well, welcome, Sam. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Lynn. It's great to meet you and Carl and great to talk to your listeners. Um, we're so excited to come to this people. It's so beautiful. I've been there before. It's such a beautiful theater. It now, go, Sam and I, before we went on the air, we were talking about Sam's other shows. Sam has been a part of Beauty and the Beast on Broadway and worldwide. And so a lot of people have seen Sam's work. So first of all, I wanna say thank you for that because it is a beautiful show. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, I've spent 20 years as the associate director of that show and it's just been a pleasure to do it all around the world. It's such wonderful people work on the show, wonderful people created it. It's wonderful to keep that legacy moving forward and keep reimagining it in all different languages and uh, all different versions all around the world. Um, and I think that experience really helps me when I do these new musicals, you know, when I do a new musical like Elf on the Shelf, which is a wonderful uh, story with original music, original dance, uh, the great team of Sarah Wordsworth and Russell Kaplan, who wrote In Transit on Broadway, wrote the musical. Um, and Sarah and Russ and I, with the Lumistella Company, sort of created the show together, which was a great thing to be a part of something from sort of its its idea uh, and um and it's just been thrilling to to bring it to the stage and see it go all around the country especially right now it's so ex 
so rewarding to be back in a theater watching people watch live theater and respond to it and have this emotional response to it. Uh, it's just really been a joy. Well, I hear that you laugh and you cry, and it's just a great experience for families because families haven't been back to uh, going to entertainment uh, because of last year. So that's interesting. So uh, tell me about why families should get their tickets for the steep. Well, I have to say that, you know, we tried to build a show uh, for families, not for kids, uh, but for families. And Sarah, the, the, the book writer and lyricist, and Russ, uh, the, the composer, and myself all happen to have families. So we were all about, okay, what's going to entertain us and what's going to entertain our parents and what's going to entertain our kids? And, and that's sort of what we've come up with, I think, in a really great way. Um, so the story... It, there's two parallel stories going on. There's this wonderful story about the Scout Elves, which everybody wants to know about. What do they do up at the North Pole? How do they get their names? Can they sit in the same spot every day? And sometimes they love that spot so much that they sit in that same spot every time. That's okay. They, they It's all right. And they, they fly back to the North Pole and how they get their magic and how they learn how to fly. All of that stuff we've put into the musical when we're up at the North Pole. The parallel story that I love is there's this family that's having a struggle as a lot of families do during the holidays. They've lost their, their dad, husband, um, and they're, they're making their way through the holidays. And the grandfather shows up to bring them this elf on a shelf to sort of help get them through the holidays. So we see how the elves sort of come together and help this family manage through the holidays. And that's how I think everybody has something to relate to. There's a teenager, there's two little boys, how they're dealing with this problem, how they're grappling with the situation, and how these elves in, in this wonderful mission that they have of bringing faith, hope, and love, because that's what Christmas is all about to them, how they come together and help this family. And, and I think that's how you get the emotions, you get the laughs, you get some good dad jokes in there, which my kids <laughs> all grown at, um, and, the amaz- and the amazing choreography of Charlie Sutton, Broadway's Charlie Sutton, who's just done an amazing job with our tap dance numbers. They're just spectacular. Sam, it's kind of interesting how each family has their own elf on the shelf tradition. As you said, some some elves don't move. Some elves do some things that each family has their own. Is there a danger trying to... Um, navigate the fact that each family has their own thing and there's no set way because that's one of the great things about the elf on the shelf there's there aren't hardly any rules i mean they go see santa and report back every night right but other than that sometimes they're fun elves sometimes they're naughty elves sometimes they are lazy elves Right. But, and I love that. And I love that the Lumistella company has sort of created this world where all that can happen. And and uh, and I think we explain it in a great way. We, we explain how they're trained and we're explained their mission and we're explained how different families adopt them, how they get their names and how, like you said, Carl, there are no rules, really. I mean, there are a couple of rules. You're not allowed to touch your elf um, because then them. they have. Right. Then they then they go to they go back to the North Pole. They have to. And that happens to one of our elves and he has to go to the elf hospital and he gets better. Um, But but we we figure we we try to help families understand how this all works and how they don't need to get all stressed out about it. Actually, it's, it's about bringing them joy. It's not about to bring family stress at all. So I think we I think we handle that in a really good way. 
Now, what if people are not familiar with the 2005 storybook, Elf on the Shelf? And if you've yeah. been at a retail store for the past 15 years, you should know about Elf on the right. Shelf because it took off in a huge it way. Sure so uh, those people that aren't familiar with it, why should they come to this? Well, because it's really a story about family, right? I mean, there is this lovely story about what happens at the North Pole and all of this world of, of Elf on the Shelf gets explained to you what these Scout Elves are, what their mission is, what they do. But there's also this wonderful story about this family and how they're navigating through the holidays. And the overall story is about how faith, hope, and love are really what the holidays are all about. Um, not about stress, not about shopping, not about gift giving, but really about those things, that spirit. And, and I think we really tried to tap into, all of us as we were creating it, What's the spirit of, of the season and how can we communicate that? So I think it's just a lovely evening out for the family, tremendous entertainment with all these original songs and dances. Um, and that's why anyone would go, even whether you have an Elf on a Shelf, whether you know about Elf on a Shelf, I think you'll just go and have a lovely time. We tried to build like this little mini Broadway show, this little mini Broadway holiday musical for everybody. And, uh, and the cast this year is just fantastic. I, I think everybody's just going to have a wonderful time. There's nothing more heartwarming for me than standing in the back of a theater and watching our audience react, laugh, clap. They even sing along at one point, as they should, um, and, and have that live experience again, especially after the past 18, 19 months that we've all lived through. I hear there's a surprise. There are many surprises. There are many, and I'm not going to give any of them away, but there is definitely magic in our show um, that comes to life on stage. And the audience definitely gets to help sort of help our family in the show get through things at the end. And, uh, and the one magic part that I will give you, Lynn, is that it snows on stage in our show. <gasps> oh, how wonderful. Well, yeah, I, have a per I have a personal story because you're talking about bringing holiday magic back and people do have traditions. And I think sometimes it's very hard for families to, uh, if they've had a tough year, to get in the spirit. Uh, in 2012, December, December 3rd, my 24-year-old son who was living in New York City called me to tell me that he had a malignant tumor oh, that goodness. was a rare aggressive lymphoma. And so in mid-December, I went to visit his doctors up in New York and get the treatment set up. And right. we went to Rockefeller Center to see the tree. Mm -hmm. And I was taking some photos and I was wondering, will we ever be able to celebrate Christmas mm, sure. again? Because this was, you know, the first time we were experiencing this as a family. And Thanks. so uh, I just remember that. And then uh, Chad Bagelin uh, from Centralia, Illinois, he wrote the lyrics to Elf. He sure did. And the, yeah, the, the musical. And so it was uh, in, it, it had returned for the holiday season. So I got tickets and it was actually Charlie, my son Charlie's first Broadway show. And we had, it just set me in the mood and they had snow at the end. And I just felt like, okay, everything's gonna be okay in the world. We'll just tackle this and we'll move forward. You know, so that was very soothing. I think if you uh, are not having what people generally associate with the, the, uh, uh, 
you know, the, the traditions of the holidays. I think that's very nice that you guys concentrated on that because I do think not everybody has this, uh, has this perfect Christmas and it's a wonderful life actually is a dark film. <laughs> very dark. Yes, it is. And, and I think, and I think when you have those dark moments and we talked a lot about it as we were creating the show, you know, are we, is this, is this too much for children? And actually it's the children who accept it quite easily. We find, you know, the dad has passed away. Oh, okay. They understand that they have friends whose dad has, whose dads have passed away. They've seen stories that, that tell that same story. So, but I think it's the adults that struggle with it a little bit more because it hits you hard. Like you were explaining about your son, um, you know, especially at holiday time when, when there's some sort of trouble in the family, whether it's a death or an illness or, or just some sort of tension, that, that feels like, oh, this isn't going to be a Hallmark movie Christmas, right? But that's sort of everybody's Christmas. And, and we sort of decided that if, if we can bring that to the stage in the story and tell it well, we'll not only keep the, the, the children's attention, but we'll connect to the parents and the grandparents. They'll get it. They'll be like, yeah, that's my family. I've, I've lived through that. I've had that moment where the kids aren't behaving properly and the tree's not decorated yet. And it's already five days before Christmas. I mean, that <laughs> happens in our show. Um, uh, you know, that tree sits empty for most of the show and the family keeps trying to get to it, but too many things keep coming up. And, and I think that people can really relate to that some of the kids think the kids, some of those moments find funny. I think the adults are like, yep, that's me. <laughs> Laundry all over the place and the tree's not decorated yet. Yeah. Fred, uh, Fred doesn't come see George until we get the tree. So uh, uh -huh. it's, it's, it's on us. Now, when you go to, let's say, I'm trying to think of a, an analogy. Like when you go to an American girl doll store, you bring yeah. an American girl doll and you guys can have lunch together. Right. Are there special waivers to bring your elf to the show? No, because you can't touch your elf. But they right. do have, but but there are uh, people bring pictures of their elves to the show. Okay. Uh, uh, there are also plush versions of the elves that are touchable and huggable that you can bring to the show. Okay. Um, so uh, there are other ways around bringing your elf. And then some people just decide, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, build a special I, we actually saw a child they built a special little cradle for their for their elf and and they scooped him up in it so they didn't touch him and carried him all the way to the show so i mean i think people find their ways especially a child with their inventive mind if they if they want to get a if they want to do get something done they're going to figure out a way to get it done but um we've had people show up dressed like elves to our show <laughs> really in the holiday spirit with wonderful christmas sweaters on i mean it's just it was interesting because we opened the show, of course, you know, you have to rehearse in October and, and the show opens in November and, and uh, on opening night, which is mid, mid November, um, all these people with Christmas lights wrapped around their necks and Christmas sweaters. They just so excited to be back in the theater, first of all. And second of all, just it's, it's such a great time of the year. People just love coming out and celebrating. Well, live theater, there's no better experience to be with a people that you love. Absolutely. And uh, I'm glad that you uh, geared it towards all generations because that's the one thing about children's entertainment. Grandparents will fork over the dollars, but they might not enjoy it. <laughs> well, that's right. And that's what we all felt. You know, we all felt, okay, who's paying for this, right? <laughs> who's bringing their kids to it? We want the kids to have a good time. And Lord knows I've taken my kids to many things. Some I've loved, some I've been bored at. And we really wanted to build something that was entertaining. So 
not not only to the kids. There's lots of funny things. There's lots of crazy, silly things that happen that that will get great laughs out of the kids. But we've put a few things in there for the adults too. That yeah, in fact, one of the one of the big lines, the the mom in the family is a nurse and she's working all the time. And she says, you know, at this time of year, moms are working overtime. Well, it stops the show. People burst into applause. They're like, yes, we do. We agree. <laughs> so, I mean, we have moments like that in the show where people really connect to what's happening. And that's when we know we've done a good job. Well, it sounds wonderful. So, Carl, your daughter must have been two or three when the book came out. Yeah, but we didn't we didn't do it right away. Um, I and my wife, of course, uh, George is well documented. So every time that we do some, I mean, we have been uh, very, very thorough of what George has done, and he, you know, there are a lot of ideas on Pinterest of things that elves should do, and George, <laughs> like the other day. Uh, we woke up and George was climbing a Tootsie Roll staircase and then, but George was knocking certain Tootsie Rolls on the ground so you could have them to eat. Oh, so, very good. That That's was very good nice of George. But then also George was, uh, George actually made fun of Hallmark movies by having a little sign that said Hallmark Snow and it was a whole bunch of cotton balls because if you ever watch a co uh, Hallmark movie, they have nothing but fake snow, which is all cotton sheets. It's awful. Yeah, they, because they shoot them in the summer, right? So right. They, warm, they, right. They're, they're in Vancouver, but it's still right. in the summer. <laughs> well, I, well, I you think... Know, the great... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, well, you just, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, you can adopt your elf at any time. Uh, you know, and so it doesn't matter how old you are or when you want to get started, they're there to be adopted. And once they get adopted, then you get to name them. And then once you name them, they get their magic and they start flying back to Santa. So, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter when you start, when, when you decide to adopt them. Um, yesterday, mine, uh, Elvis is our scout elf. He, Elvis? he lives here. Elvis, yeah, Elvis the elf. And he, um, yesterday was, uh, there was a sign that said no smoothies today because he was sitting in the blender. Oh, so I, you know, he was keeping an eye on things from the blender and making mm -hmm. sure that everything was uh, was okay. Uh, and today he's sitting in our Christmas village, so uh, that's where he landed uh, this morning. Well, it, when they started, it was just the uh, one little uh, white elf with the elfin face, but now there are uh, elves of many shades of the rainbow, and there are also female elves, and yes. there are also um, there, there's the Jewish version, the mensch on the bench. And so, yes, I've heard about that. Yes. But what's great about the, you know, what we've done with our show as well is that uh, it looks like our audience, right? So we, so we have a wonderfully diverse cast, um, which reflects the, 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 the actual scout elves, as you said, they're, they're of all different races. And, you know, we want, I, I think the, I, I can't speak for the Lumistella company. I don't work for them, but they're wonder. I have worked. I have worked with them, and they are lovely people, and they really understand how important it is for for these elves to reflect the children who who adopt them. So I think they've done a wonderful job at that. We've worked really hard to to reflect that on stage uh, both years that the tour has been out, and we've been very very fortunate to have not only great talent, but but a great diverse uh, group of talented people on stage, which is great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you yeah. can't uh, you can't force a tradition. Like uh, Christmas things, just they click or they don't. Like I just That's heard true. yesterday that Rudolph was invented by a department store. 
Is that right? Yeah. And yesterday and was the uh, anniversary, the what, 56th anniversary of Charlie Brown Christmas. So. Wow. Which is such a staple for me. That's what I grew up with for sure. So. Um, yeah, all these wonderful traditions. I'm proud to be a part of it. You know, I'm proud to be a part of another holiday tradition, something that brings families together. I'm so proud of our cast and crew that goes to a different city every night to put on this show. I'm so excited that they're going to be in St. Louis on the 16th, uh, that people will get to see it. You know, right now we're right sort of in the thick of the holiday season. It'll be a great night for people to get out and see the show. I think that's perfect timing. December yes. 16th because it is a good night you know it's just like a week ahead of time go ahead Carl you can go to Stiefel Theater R-E Stiefel S-T-I-F-E-L-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot com and you can get your tickets for Elf on the Shelf a Christmas musical and you. if yes. you want to find out more uh, Elf on the Shelf has its own website and is is it Elf on the Shelf musical that you can go it, to to it, find out Right. It's the Elf on the Shelf, a Christmas musical. That's the name of the website. And there it tells you all the cities that we're playing. You can see our cast there. You can see a little bit of the show um, and uh, and read about where we're going to be the next night and the next night and the next night. They move every day. And something that is really good that parents will enjoy, because if you're bringing little ones, the show is at six o'clock. So you're not... Some people, one of the biggest complaints about a lot of the live shows in the St. Louis area is that they don't start till 8.15 some nights. This yeah. children's show starts at 6. So you will have the little ones back home in time for bed. Absolutely. I mean, it's great. You, you know, you can grab dinner with the kids. The show's at 6. Um, it's a two-act show, but it's only 90 minutes long. So the kids will be in bed on time for sure um and they're they're in st louis for just that one day the thursday december 16th at the six o'clock show just that one day and then they move to another city the next day <laughs> that's excellent <laughs> well Sam? thank you yeah thank you so much for your time today it's been such a pleasure and i'm so glad you and carl have that disney connection and yes, the beauty, yeah the beauty and the beast is timeless so that's just wonderful that you are connected to something so universal and so timeless. It is. It's a real privilege to be part of it. And, and I imagine I'm so grateful. I imagine doing it in France is a different kind of experience because it's supposed to take place in France. Yeah, I've never done it in France. That would be an interesting experience. I will say that the people who I work with in England, because we're so close to French, right. close, so close to France, uh, the Lumieres are always very concerned about how good their accent is because good. Because French people come to see the show. Um, uh, and uh, it's just been a joy to work on all these years. And now I'm getting ready to do it in Tokyo next year and then uh, Australia the year after that. So really, it's, it just goes on and on. And, and we're looking forward to doing more Elf on a Shelf next year. It'll be out, out around the country again next holiday season. We're already in the planning stages for that, which is amazing. Uh, after the theater being shut down for so long to be planning so far ahead already, it's, it's really exciting. Well, it's and a wonderful, go ahead, Lynn. Go ahead. I was going to say uh, for COVID protocols, please go to the Stiefel Theater website. and It'll fill you all in about what you need to be doing. Yes, ahead, I have Carl. to say that our producers have done a fantastic job keeping us safe, keeping the cast safe with testing and masks, our entire cast and crew are vaccinated. They've done a wonderful job keeping 
during the rehearsal process and during their tour, keeping them all so safe and then keeping our audiences safe as well as the protocols change from theater to theater. Uh, everybody's been doing a, a really great job and we couldn't be more happy with how, that, how it's all been going. It is a wonderful coincidence that we have you on this week because one of the major movies coming out this weekend is a Broadway show done by Steven Spielberg. It do certainly is. Do you have thoughts on any version of West Side Story, like either the play, the original film, or Steven Spielberg? Oh, well, they're all spectacular. I mean, it's one of my favorite musicals on stage. The original movie is probably my top in my top 10 of uh, movies of all time. Uh, I think it's such a brilliantly done film, uh, musical on film. And with Steven Spielberg being one of the best filmmakers of our time, I can't wait to see what he's done with it. I think anything that puts musical musicals in front of a broader audience right now is great. A story about diversity is great. I think it's all wonderful. And I'm so glad that uh, it's perpetuating the idea of sitting in a theater, but also sitting in a movie theater and watching a musical story. Yes, well, you'll be happy to know it's a, a Spielberg makes very smart choices. And it is a good blend of people with Broadway credentials and also Hollywood uh, credentials too. So like for instance, choreography, Justin Peck, who's the yeah. artistic director of the New York City Ballet did the choreography mm -hmm. and Tony Kushner adapted the script and he made it grittier and he made it relevant to modern audiences even though it is set in 1957. They do not change that at, at, at all. But uh, Riff and Bernardo have Broadway cred uh, because right. Bernardo won a Tony when he was 12 as one of the Billy Elliots. I know, and, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Riff is Mike Faced, who was Connor Murphy, the bad boy in Dear Evan Hansen. So right. uh, they're just, I just, this cast is electric on film. And I can't, uh, I just, uh, there's so much uh, joy to seeing something with such vitality make it onto the screen and did it need yeah. to be remade though lynn well no but i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad spielberg spielberg is a huge fan sondheim gave his blessing he was there at the recording of the music every day and and he uh and because as we know in tick tick boom which is another wonderful musical i have two two musicals on my top 10 this year, which is unusual, but yeah, is unusual. Uh, they're, yeah. they're both worth it because- I'm guessing In the Heights is not one of them? No, but it's in my honorable mentions. And <laughs> uh, and then we have, we have a lot of, it's so much good stuff this year, but I will Agreed. say Tick Tick Boom celebrates the creative process and inspiration and dreamers, which is all good Broadway shows are about. And then, uh, and then, West Side Story is a timeless love story, and yeah. uh, this young cast has such energy, but I will say, who's stealing the whole show is Rita Marie. And, that, and that's a new part, correct? Right. She is a Doc's widow, Valentina. 
Okay. And it's very well written, uh, her part. And uh, well, you know, who would doubt Spielberg? All these naysayers were crabbing, just like we're going to get to the being the Ricardos movie. All these naysayers are making judgment on Nicole Kidman playing Lucille Ball without seeing a minute, without seeing a minute of the finished product. Right, right. So I think Spielberg has had a lot to prove here. And uh, it's magnificent. I will just say that I was enthralled for two hours and 36 minutes or whatever it was. Well, I mean, anything that can bring good storytelling and great music and great dancing together, whether it's the Elf on the Shelf musical or whether it's a giant multi-million you know, multi dollar movie like West Side Story, I'm all for it. I think it's great. As long as it's good quality and well thought and thoughtful and good storytelling and serving a good message, I think that's what it's all about. Right. And, and bringing, a new gener bringing a new generation to the sale because let's face it, the 61 movie hasn't aged as well as <laughs> one would have hoped. Well, Lynn, what about what about what I've heard about El so and hold on. I'm gonna say his name right because uh, if you're not gonna say positive things about him ansel elgort okay this is my he was fantastic as he was the fault in the stars divergent and uh he was baby driver ansel elgort in real life went to the fame high school hmm. and he was the lead in musicals beating out his classmate timothy chalamet uh -huh. and he can sing so we got that they didn't have to dub his voice and Tony is such a blander creature than Bernardo or Riff or Anita or even Maria that I think he suffers by comparison. So if you're going to judge the whole cast, yes, he's the weakest link, but he can sing, which is more than Pierce Brosnan did in Mamma Mia. And, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes there's casting that you're like, what? He looks the part of Tony. He sings like Tony. So he's not as electric on screen as the other people. I'll say that. But I right. was okay with him because just you gotta have a good riff and you gotta have a good Bernardo. And if and if you don't have that, then it just fails. Right, 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 right. But these these people all have the dance. Us. Oh, it's just so electric, and they do more in the streets because I it, in the movie there there's so many empty streets. Whereas yeah, this, they they yeah they shot the original movie uh, when they were building Lincoln Center, so they had torn down all of this uh, all of these brownstones on the Upper West Side, and that's where they shot all the outdoor sequences. Uh, that weren't shot on a soundstage were shot right on the Upper West Side where Lincoln Center is now, and that was all rubble all around them. Uh -huh. um, what what so, I what I've so, noticed about West Side Story, they're saying it's based on West Side, the original West Side Story. Do they give uh, William Shakespeare any credit at all? <laughs> well, because it's because West Side Story is based on Romeo and Juliet, right? And and that was that was the whole idea behind Arthur Lawrence and Jerome Robbins. They right. were, uh, you know, doing a, they were going to do East Side Story, but then they switched it yep. because they saw headlines about Chicano gangs right. and they, they switched it to the West Side. 
but I do think there's such a vibrancy to making that the uh, the ethnic standoff, shall we say, and today it's even more divisive. Mm -hmm. And so it's relevant to a modern audience because it would be different if you didn't know what was going on, but the Montagues and the Capulets, it follows that same story and riff is Mercutio and Bernardo is Tybalt. Right. So you definitely have that thing. I'm sure in the credits they mention Shakespeare, but you know, to I'm me, guessing, it's, I'm guessing they don't. It to me is funny. Shakespeare's people... lawyer's not going to be calling up asking for a credit. No, no. Nope. When when uh, what cracks me up is when people are knocking the plot, and I'm just like, <laughs> it is Romeo and Juliet. You cannot mess with that. You can't. You can't. You know they add things like they add like Tony has a record. He okay. served time for beating up a guy in one of these fights. Uh, they change the rumble just a little bit, whereas Tony's involved, but also the fact that they're not hiding their romance because in the original, Tony and Maria had to hide their romance. And here they're not hiding it. People aren't happy, but they're not hiding, which is hmm. to me a little, a little different. Yeah, and that is different. You know, and really, uh, they didn't realize back then the Jets and the Sharks were in the same boat because they were all being marginalized. And right. the gentrification that was coming in with Lincoln Center, they were both being displaced. So, yeah. yeah. But overall, you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. And it's just, they. I can't, I'm not going to ruin some of the surprises, but these voices, the, Rachel Zegler, was picked out of 30,000 girls. She was found on YouTube because she would put uh, videos of herself singing. In fact, uh, she had uh, one of Ariel's songs from Little Mermaid that was the original clip they saw. And she was mm -hmm. Maria in her high school production. She's from yeah, New right Jersey. Yeah, right here in New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. And she's going to be a star. She's so people, well, one of the film groups gave her best actress i think it was national board of review but Amazing. she's a real breakout she's just a real stunner and ariana debose who was the bullet in hamilton right she plays fiery anita and uh she's also just the dance scenes she's just comes alive in those dance scenes and unfortunately she was in the at the netflix adaptation of the prom which was, as yeah. you know I, I saw the prom on broadway and it works way better as a play than the netflix movie but she was one of the lead characters in the netflix movie so but she's going to be huge after this so yeah. Sam, we won't keep yeah. you if you don't if you have to go, but we're going to continue to talk movies. So thank you for All being right. on with us. Well, thank you. I'm going to let you guys talk movies because that's not my my area of expertise. But thank you for having me, and 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 I'm always happy to uh, to meet folks who want to talk about 
musical theater and 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 thank you for talking about our show and and the, the fact that it's going to be at the steeple on the 16th i really appreciate it and i hope everybody your listeners and both of you have a wonderful holiday merry christmas and enjoy and we'll hopefully see you again next year i yeah, hope here, so i do hope so here's to 2022 and yeah. uh, break a leg and i mean that in the most sincere way <laughs> <laughs> thank you well, and thank you both Thank you, Sam. So, Lynn, let's stay. Let's stay in New York and let's talk about Street Gang, which is uh, now available on HBO Max. Yes, one of my favorite documentaries of the year. It is about how Sesame Street came to fruition, and it's how a, Sesame Street was made. Oh, it's such a wonderful documentary. It starts on HBO Max on Monday, the thirteenth. Okay, I'm, I'm think. Well, Pretty it's, it's, it's great. I, Sesame Street is one year older, just about one year older than I am. So I remember all of these things and I want, and then I had little sisters and little brother. And so I had Sesame Street was on all the time. And so this is the creation of Sesame Street and the creative geniuses and lucky marketers that started this back in 1969. Yes, and Jim Henson, it shows him doing Muppet-type creatures for commercials. He right. originally started as a commercial ad person, yeah. and uh, they show those early commercials, but it also shows Joan uh, Gans, mm-hmm. what's her name, that she founded the Children's Television Workshop. She got together with the PBS people, and uh, at that time, Children's programming was so different it was nothing but it was nothing but uh selling cereals and toys and lots of things with sugar yes and uh this was actually a learning tool and it took the world by storm and it created such a uh uh indelible characters and uh a world wide thing and then of course the beloved Muppets and the genius of of uh, Mr. Well, Muppet well you mean Jim Henson yes and and then they give they give due to the people that didn't necessarily get the creativity and uh, credit back then like John Stone who was the the face well he was no Joan was the face he was the one that was doing all the work and they just stayed in the studios and they just did everything and they lived there. They just, they never went home. They were in New York city studios the whole time. And your son has been in those studios. Right. My oldest son, Tim was an intern at uh, Sesame street, which is now, now Sesame studios. Right, which was filmed, this is uh, 2013. And he uh, worked in the Queen, Queen, the Astoria Studios in Queens. And also there were other shows being filmed there at the same time. So he would see people, many Showtime shows like Nurse Jackie and, and other shows, cause he'd tell me he saw Edie Falco, things like that. Mm-hmm. But his job as an intern was to work with the parents of the kid performers on the show. Like keep the the stage moms out of the way. Yes, that's, 
that's what they gave the intern to do. Mm-hmm. And also he would from time to time escort the stars to uh, the set. So Sesame we were, Street has had amazing guest stars over the last 50 some years. Oh my goodness. Whenever they do those uh, wrap up anniversary shows and they show anybody who's anybody has been on Sesame Street mm-hmm. and uh, singing and the uh, new characters, like sometimes uh, he had told me that sometimes they use extras in scenes needed. And so he got to be in one episode and it, it was with, oh, the big pink one. I forget. Oh, the Abby Cadabby? Well, and then Abby Cadabby. And he said the woman behind Abby Cadabby was so nice. Well, yeah, and, they, they show the they show the puppeteers. Uh, the amazing thing is Joan Gans Cooney is still alive. Um, uh, John Stone has passed, but they they talk about him and uh, they talk about the music like Joe Raposo. He did all of those songs and they had to do them in such short time. That's why some of those songs seem like they're just it'd be like a child making up a song and that and they'd have a piece of video to it because they had to churn and burn so much of that stuff yes yes and uh just just you should watch it you'll feel nostalgic if you if you are if you are of a certain age and you grew up with sesame street because now there are so much because of sesame street there are other choices but back if you are of a certain age if this might hit you one way or another Oh, yeah. So, there, yeah, there would be no Reading Rainbow or The Electric Company or uh, Blues Clues. Right. Or, or and, Dora and the all those All those Nickelodeon shows. I mean, they are the grand, uh, the, uh, the grandbabies. The, yeah, well, they are the gold standard. And But the joy that they had in creating this show, that's what I took away from this. There is such pure joy from the mm-hmm. creators to the performers to uh, just the whole team behind all the manoeuvre. Well, you know who was one of the puppeteers? Was, oh my goodness. I just, his name just went out. He's the Muni guy, John Torturo. Torturo. John, John Torturo. Yeah, he was Pinocchio in Shrek. Uh, he was, and, and one of the founders, one of the creators of Avenue Q. Well, Avenue Q was a whole bunch of guys who were working from up at workshop and they needed to do some adult stuff and that's how they did it. Yeah. And uh, there's just, it's just such a joy to experience how they are the creative process of that, but also its impact on children and, and adults as well. And it's, and it's still, this movie is going to be on HBO and HBO max, but you can, cause PBS needed the the only way that they can keep the show going was to split with HBO. So HBO gets them first run and then PBS gets them later. But with HBO Max, you can get old episodes of Sesame Street as well. Like you get the I'm, I don't think it's the whole catalog, but it is a lot of the you can. In fact, a friend of mine, he said, we we ask our son whether he wants to watch new Sesame Street or old Sesame Street, and they default to the old all the time. So that that's that's great. And you see Frank Oz and you see Jim Henson working together as Ernie and Bert, and it is just so sweet. 
It is, and also uh, the Big Bird because Big Bird. Carol, uh, Carol Spinney. Now Carol Spinney was alive. He has since passed, but when they were shooting this, he was still alive, and he was telling his stories. Right, and uh, Tim did get to meet him too, and was very impressed with him as a person. So it's nice to know that the people behind the creatures were just stand-up human beings as 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 much. We have a wonderful little thing because. Tim, uh, Tim's first cousin had little children and they had asked him if he could get, you know, like Abby Cadabby to say Merry Christmas. She did a whole stick for them, uh, Abby and uh, Owen. She called him by name. She did this whole thing and, uh, and Tim sent it to everybody and it was just the most adorable thing. And he was saying how she just went above and beyond because he just asked like, hey, can you say Merry Christmas to, to Abby and Owen? And she did this whole little thing. Nice, that's, yeah. that's very sweet. And you know the people that are doing this really enjoy it, which is why they are still there. Um, now let's, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, people that were not necessarily happy people, being the Ricardos. Right, well, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. And it I, is very, it is very good. I could not believe how well constructed it is because it does compress three events. Now these three events really did happen, but they did not take place in seven days. So no, that is Aaron Sorkin's little creative license. Well, People. Aaron Sorkin said he had such a good time on a movie that I had a lot of problems with, The Trial of Chicago 7, that he said he wanted to do another one. Because he was not going to direct this. He's like, ah, you know what? I had a, such a good time making Chicago 7. I want to direct being the Ricardos. And I will tell you, this is one of the best casts of the year. This is so sharply written. It is. Uh, it shows you how the sausage is made in the beginning days of TV. And it explains what a pioneer Lucy, Lucille Ball was, but also Desi Arnaz. Desi Arnaz doesn't get enough credit as being this savvy producer. And he's the one that had the multiple cameras. He's yes. the one that, and he, he uh, so uh, the three events that they focus on in this brilliant script is, Lucy and Desi's crumbling marriage, her being accused of being a communist back during the Red Scare with the House on Un-American Activities, Senator Joe McCarthy, and then the uh, announcement that she was pregnant with Desi Arnaz Jr. Now, do you like the fact that uh, John Rubenstein, Linda Lavin, and Ronnie Cox are playing older versions of these characters? Yeah, Tony Hale and Aaliyah Shawkat and Jake Lacey. Yeah, I do. I think that's interesting because they went on to fabulous careers, but this was how they were part of this groundbreaking uh this groundbreaking process and it shows you how the suits how nervous the suits were and there was under yeah. no circumstances that they could use the word pregnant and they certainly were going to show lucy with a growing belly first and clark oh. clark gregg as a network suit is pretty pretty he he dyed his hair and so i'm like wait a minute that looks like nope it is it because you can tell his voice right away and he's good. 
Uh, we haven't talked about the big four. You have Nicole Kidman, Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem, J.K. Simmons, and Nina Arianda as Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, William Frawley, and Vivian Vance. I think they're all going to get nominated. I really do. I think Nicole Kidman nails it. The way that she handles Lucy as a tough business woman and standing up to the suits and being this trailblazer and also just the domestic worries because she is a mother and a wife and Desi's a very charismatic, charming entertainer. But they, they, they do do something that I did. They made him out to be a womanizer, which he was, but they she also uh, bedded lots of men. She had an affair with Henry Fonda for a long time. And so they make her out to be a saint when she not she wasn't necessarily a saint. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, the I think it's the the public perception of what happened there, but also the fact that they were working together and then they were having woes in their personal life and their struggles, and then trying to keep that uh, interesting. But Javier Bardem is fabulous as Desi Arnaz. Yes. You don't usually see him being so playful and light, but also it shows him being a very savvy businessman. Which he was. And there are a lot of things. I, my favorite part of the film is when they could have gone one of two ways. They could have gone and showed actual recreation. They could have actually shown the video of them from the 1950s, like Lucy stopping the grapes. Instead, you get Nicole Kidman and everyone else recreating the scenes as it's kind of like two, it's a film within a film. Them recreating the scenes from I Love, the iconic scenes from I Love Lucy, and then them doing it. Oh, it, I enjoyed that very much. Oh, the editing there and the cinematography, how they show the thought process of the her process. mind. Mm-hmm coming up with the scenes and then how she changes her voice into the character Lucy Ricardo and and that whole process that whole black and white to color and back and forth is is just genius how they came up with that but also the four of them the the behind the scenes because J.K. Simmons as William Frawley will have people laughing and smiling he is this cantankerous old dude that drinks at 10 a.m. <laughs> and, and, makes, and makes no apologies for his attitude. And uh, he has a he has a testy relationship with Vivian Vance. And Nina Arianda announces her breakthrough coming of coming to screen. She is a Tony winner for the play Venus and Fur, her first Broadway show after NYU. And then she won one for uh, Born Yesterday as well. Oh, I didn't even know that. So, no, no, but she, I'm sorry, she didn't win. She was just nominated for that one. Okay. She, well, she's multiple nominee, one time winner. She shows many facets to Vivian Vance that we were not aware of. And she was in Stan and Ollie, which everybody liked three oh, years yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I Stan forgot Laurel's about wife. that. Yeah, Jim Batts reminded me of uh, that she was in that. But uh, she is just terrific as Vivian Vance. And it shows her relationship with Lucy on set 
and then in characters. Well, she went on to work with Lucy in those spin-off shows. Here's Lucy and the Lucy show. Right. They got along. They were really good friends. And I, I, I always, Lucille Ball always reminded me of my grandmother, my grandmother, Irene. And she was a no-nonsense business person, but also lovable and very funny. So it, growing up in the 70s, I had, you know, here's Lucy, which not necessarily, which wasn't necessarily the best of them, but she was, she still was funny and she was still getting it done. Right. Well, one of the things is when I was growing up, Lucy, I mean, uh, early, I mean, 60s, they were in reruns by then. Yeah, but I watched, I watched every single episode of I Love Lucy. There's like 180 of them. And I watched every single one of them because they've been in syndication forever. Right. So that's how I was familiar with them. And then I remember everybody saying how the episode with the birth of little Ricky was the most watched TV show at the time. And they got a hundred million viewers for that episode, but their normal viewership was 60 million a week, which is unheard of. It is now regarded as one of the best shows of all time. And it only ran for six seasons because it ended after their marriage did. And well, the last time she kissed Ricky was the very last show. And then she filed for divorce the next day. Right. And then uh, uh, they did. I remember in the summer because they used to have summer uh, networks would program summer things. And they had like Desi and Lucy and uh, Fred and Ethel going to Hollywood trying you know these well, that, that, summer was the, shows. Uh, that was the desi and lucy comedy hour right which was still it was an extension of i love lucy but they didn't want to have to do you know 37 seasons so they're like we can just do this and still have fun and get paid to do it well it was just so groundbreaking but this movie if you're looking for an impersonation you're not going to get it. no because it's, an, it's acting and nothing yes. against deborah messing because this deborah messing would have done a fine job, but she's not Nicole Kidman. No, this is more dramatic. Uh, and uh, I just loved everything about it. And I enjoyed every minute of it. And it's two hours and five minutes. And I was in, I was just fascinated by the Every whole day they, they start set something up at the beginning. If we have a show on Friday, we're going to be fine. And so you are waiting. It goes Monday, then it goes Tuesday. You are waiting for them to get to Friday and each day presents new challenges and you're 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 anticipating with them right so then now the movie that everyone is saying oh all this hype for this netflix's don't look up right well, i should add before we uh move on uh that west side story is only in theaters december okay. 10th and uh being the ricardos is in theaters december 10th but, but it will be on be- amazon yeah, uh, Amazon Prime, December 21st. Okay. And so now uh, Don't Look Up is currently in theaters, but will be on Netflix Christmas Eve. Now, this is a very polarizing movie. It's I a came, climate change movie. Yeah, I came out. It's a preaching to the choir movie. Uh, it's not going to change anybody's opinions. It is a sharp satire on the state of the world. And I am in the, the, the camp of, uh, I loved it. 
and I was, uh, I laughed out loud. I thought it was probably one of the best comedies of the year. If we, if the world ends tomorrow, we deserve it. That's so my is this, feeling. Is, is this an Adam McKay more in lines of the big short or is it like one of his wacky Will Ferrell comedies? This is a combination of both. Adam okay. McKay wrote and directed this. Now the big short was adapted. So, but he won an Oscar for the big short, but this is original and this takes on the ridiculousness of social media invading society of the media's spin on everything and the no filter world we live in, as well as not trusting science and knowledge uh, over uh, slick media hype and uh, conspiracy theories and how uh, sheeple people can be. And then uh, how the tech gurus, for instance, uh, Mark Rylance plays like a Zuckerberg, Elon Musk um, uh, dude that it's, it's just a brilliant, like a very strange uh, social, uh, a technology whiz who is more concerned with algorithms. The media of Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry, I cannot say enough about how hilarious they are. They play morning show co-hosts of a show called The Daily Rip. And Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence play two astronomers who discover that a comet that it's giant comet is heading to earth and it'll arrive in six months and obliterate us. So what are we gonna do about it? So the clueless president of the United States who's more concerned about ratings and- Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep uh, is so vapid and so hilarious. And her son is played by Jonah Hill and he's her chief of staff. So he'll be like, mom, it's, it's really funny because he's trying to be more than he is, which is a lot of people in this movie are trying to be more than they are. And so uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, so NASA uh, confirms their Ivy League because they're at a school, they're at a state school. Huh. And because they're at a state school, the president doesn't want to believe them. And she's like, well, we'll get these Ivy Leaguers on it. So the Ivy Leaguers confirm the data of the state school astronomers. NASA confirms it. So they don't want the world to freak out. So they're trying to spin this as being less tragic. Well, what are you going to do? The world's going to end in six months. So they're going on this morning show and the producer's like, keep it light, keep it funny. And they're like, do you know what we're going to be talking about? And just the hilarity of them trying to be serious about a very serious topic in this happy news format we have, and just about the obsessive celebrity culture. Ariana Grande plays this really uh, awful celebrity who breaks up with her other celebrity boyfriend and they make this the whole centerpiece of this show and the and the <laughs> it's really funny this cast it's got this great cast the hits just keep on coming timothy chalamet plays a gen uh z person uh that hooks up with jennifer lawrence and he's actually very good in like 10 minutes 
of his time. And, and just everybody comes in to do their little thing. And it's just so funny. Kent and Jim Bats and I laughed out loud. And we were like, this is one of the funniest things we've ever seen. And Kent had a good mark on it. He said it was like a prequel to Idiocracy. Okay. The Mike which, Judge movie. Which is the Mike Judge movie that talked about in the future how stupid everybody is. And, um, and then uh, Jim Bats said that Mark Rylance's character was like the evil twin of the guy he played in Ready Player One. Okay. Well, I, I do want to see it. I, ju I just haven't yet because there there's a lot going on. Well, the people that didn't like it are not necessarily uh, wrong. Well, I will say there, I can see their viewpoint. Well, one person thought it was insufferable. They did not like being preached to. They felt it was just too over the top obvious, Captain Obvious. And uh, who were they going to change? And these people are not necessarily conservative people. They're uh, lean, more liberal, but they just felt like uh, it, this is just too heavy handed. Now, I, uh, I guess uh, because uh, that's the kind of humor I enjoy, uh, I just and, and just the whole ridiculousness of the media portrayal and the uh, social media. If you're paying attention in what's happening in the world, you know that everything is just this perfect storm of alarm. Okay. Well, I, I'm looking forward to see it. I'm also hearing good things about Encounter. Yes, but I did not say this in my review last night on KTRS because I didn't want to spoil it, and I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a big twist. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is Riz Ahmed, who is one of our finest actors, and he plays an ex-Marine who is privy to uh, information that uh, aliens or other uh, life forms are coming down to Earth as microorganisms that are infecting us uh, they want us to be their hosts okay so it's very similar to invasion of the body snatchers if that that kind of ilk and now the, and, and this movie is on amazon prime right and at theaters at the same time they didn't do a staggered release so it's on amazon prime today um it is he he takes his two sons, he kidnaps them basically from his divorced wife. And the two kids are great. <laughs> the two kids are two of the most natural. We've had a really good year for juvenile performances. Because and Octavia we have Spencer's in the movie too? Yes. Uh, she, uh, I can't say who she is because I'll ruin it for people. Okay. Um, there's a lot of surprises. It is written and directed by the guy who did this really terrific movie that nobody saw called Beast years ago and introduced me to Jesse Buckley. Michael Pierce. Yes, Michael Pierce. And uh, it has got this creepy sci-fi vibe that goes into paranoia. Sincere, deep, creepy paranoia. Okay. 
and you don't want to give anything away, and I'm not going to ask you to do so. There no. is one more. There is one more movie that is out this week, and it is The Unforgivable. Well, I'm not as enamored with it as other people are. It's Sandra Bullock being unglamorous. She plays a woman who served 20 years for killing a cop. It was oh. actually a sheriff. And uh, he came to her farm. Her parents died. She was 15 years older than her youngest sibling. They were going to be, because the parents died, they couldn't keep up with the, with the payments on the farm. And... Uh, so she, this takes up where she's out of prison. She's trying to find her sister who is now adopted by Richard Thomas and uh, oh, his wife. And uh, she doesn't remember any part of her early five years, but uh, she's having some flashback issues. And Sandra Bullock is frantic to get a hold of her she's very hard now that she's been in prison she can't find a job she finally gets one at this fish factory because this is seattle and and john bernthal is a co-worker who is very nice to her and and like her one friend because when people find out she killed a cop they are not so nice to her and the world is stacked against people coming out of prison who've been in there 20 years. It's just a hard adjustment. So Sandra Bullock is very good as this woman who lost everything and is living in this void. It's just, she's just this sad creature walking through life, but she's trying to get her sister. There's this cast, Vincent D'Onofrio's married to Viola Davis, and they now live on this farm that was renovated into like beautiful homes. Hmm. And they bought this farmhouse and she comes to see what it's like and Viola Davis doesn't trust her, but Vincent D'Onofrio conveniently is an attorney. Oh, good and reluctantly takes on her quest to find her sister. So there's a lot of layers. We have the, the cop, the sheriff's two sons out for revenge. So it's a revenge thriller. And, and this is on Netflix. Yes, it's on Netflix. So there's all these twists and turns. It's okay. I thought it was very uh, uh, predictable. Yeah. And I thought, there was a lot, it's a lot of the flashbacks, you know, you're seeing flashbacks all the time, but they're not really telling you the whole story. And I just thought it was very clumsily put together. But Sandra Bullock is a producer. Now, one of the reasons it might be clumsily put together is it's based on a BBC uh, miniseries. Yeah, so, there was so several they're, trying to, they're trying to get it down to less than two hours. So they compress all this stuff. So you feel like you're missing things. You know? I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Fewer than two hours. Sorry. Right. So you're feeling like you're missing things. Like there's things that you don't know. And then Viola, uh, Viola Davis's character is very strange. Like you, you know, like all of a sudden she has this about turn of face and you're like, what? And then they don't go really anywhere. Some of these character threads, they don't go anywhere. You invest well, your time with this character, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, what do they have to do with anything? Well, I so, looked it up. I looked it up. Unforgiven, the miniseries, is only 15 minutes longer because it's three episodes of 45 minutes apiece. So it's only 15 minutes longer than 
the movie. So how much could they flesh out in 15 more minutes? Yeah, that's true. Does that does that mean that it's just not adapted well? I think so. I think there's yeah, I don't think so. But uh, I'm I think I'm in the minority here because I think that the it's gotten better reviews. No, because, it is not. Uh, on since Lynn is a member of Rotten Tomatoes, I'm going to quote it here. It's at 33. So oh, okay. Well, I haven't checked that. We so then you are in you are in the you are in the majority. Okay. Well, Carl, as yes. you know, we have been so overwhelmed this week by movies. We've had to see so many new movies. They're all running together. We have to have our votes in for the St. Louis Film Critics Association tomorrow. I yeah. have to have my votes in for Critics Choice Association tonight. So it has been nonstop trying to watch as many movies as possible. They don't make this easy. Well, Lynn, I'm going to give a plug in for the Mitchells versus the Machines. You should put that like in your top three and that will help us get people to notice it in our critics associations because our our votes are weighted and well, get, so, uh, get this yeah uh, the, you got to go look at the alliance of women film journalists book because uh, the mitchells versus the machines was mentioned in several categories really good because it is a very it's very uh very female positive i mean your your lead is a female so Right. Well, we had to pick our our best animated females this year, and and uh, Abby Jacobson as Katie is uh, in the top two. Good, love that. Well, Lynn, where can we find you on the socials? I am in all the socials, although I will say I'm not as up to date on the Instagram as I should be. And I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times every Friday and online. And I am on KTRS radio every Thursday evening after the 10 p.m. news with Ray Hartman. And uh, we have our own website, poplifestl.com, where you can find this podcast also on, on stl.com and our Facebook page, Carl. Where can we find you? You can find me at underscore Carl the Intern on Twitter and Instagram blowing the horn for your St. Louis blues. You can hear me on the Mark Cox morning show Monday through Friday from five till 9am and on the weekends on 97.1 and KMOX on the second amendment radio and great outdoors show. And now I'm going to go leave and cut down a Christmas tree in Festus. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, uh, aren't you with Max Boise on Max on movies? I am on the Max on movies uh, podcast. So you can hear me there too. Yes, and last week, Max and I were on the Wendy and Jennifer show on KTRS, given our hol holiday movie preview. I do want to shout out to The Edge, our friends Keith and Mary Beth Shell, because, ta-da, they have been granted early access showing of American Underdog. Okay. So all you Metro East people can go see it December 17th and 18th at The Edge theaters in Belleville and they're so excited and you can get tickets uh, at the Marcus theaters too to American Underdog because it's going to show up Christmas Day and we will be talking about it later but if you can't wait to see the Kurt and Brenda Warner story you will see it next week. Merry Christmas everyone we'll talk to you guys next week and we'll try to cram some more movies in. <laughs> And we Bye. have a lot. We have a lot to share. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs>